0: and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor at MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Dr. Thomas Young. He's Chief Medical Officer at ProM Behavioral Health. He's here today to talk about the missing link between mental and physical health care. So let's go right to Dr. Young. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today.
1: Pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah. Now, as mentioned, you are the Chief Medical Officer at ProM Behavioral Health. You were telling me offline, you founded the organization in 2016. Tell tell us a little bit more about ProM Health. What do you guys do? And uh, talk about that evolution, because I know mental health is top of mind to so many people right now. So many people are struggling, and we're going to talk about that today to help provide some solutions and a pathway to better mental health.
1: Oh, I'll absolutely, be happy to. Uh, my background is primary care. Uh, I, I started in primary care when I went to my residency in 1973 and I've been doing primary care ever since. Uh, I taught uh, family medicine uh, at a couple of locations over the years. Uh, and and all the way through it and all my experiences, uh, I, I oversaw Medicare for Qualys for Washington, Idaho and Alaska for several years. Uh, I was a medical director for the Idaho Medicaid program and I think most in that program uh, particularly, I began to see the role that primary care was playing uh, in mental health, uh, because the way the way mental health had been designed in this country uh, in the in the 70s, as many people know who who come from that era, we used to house a lot of people in uh, mental health institutions. In the 70s, we we turned the other way and went to community based mental health, with, which put the burden on burden on primary care. Uh, and so as primary care sort of had all the burden of uh, mental health, trying to do all the other things that, that we did every day uh, in our practices, uh, it became just really difficult, if not impossible. So as I evolved my vision of that, I saw that we needed to do some things um, and sort of some things happened in my own family that focused uh, our family and myself on the importance of mental health. Uh, So that began my journey uh, in the 90s to to look for solutions, particularly focused on primary care. And so that was the evolution. Uh, ProM was the biggest step along the way. Started in 2016, Uh, had a lot of work and research. So I began to understand mental health from the research side and sort of taking research and putting it in the hands, of uh, usable hands of primary care providers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Research is sometimes difficult to transition. So one of our goals was early on was how do we transition all the stuff we know in research or the specialists are using into the hands of us guys and gals out in the field. Mm-hmm. If you will.
0: Yeah, that is, that's great news. I was just, I got a notification on my phone earlier oh actually yesterday that uh national mental health awareness day is tomorrow and that's just one more way that we are uh bringing mental health out into the open and then the work that you're doing your team is doing and others out there to help provide solutions is just wonderful so thank you for this work you're doing um go right ahead yeah what were you going to say
1: well, I was going to say uh, you 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 keyed on one word there in in your comment, which is on my phone.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: one of the things, and I think we'll probably get to it, uh, is the role uh, of technology to solve some of the issues that we have in primary care. Um, it, primary care providers, which includes pediatricians, internists, nurse practitioners, all the people at the primary care level, uh, make about 85% of the diagnoses of mental health in this country. Uh, They write 80% of the prescriptions for mental health drugs in this country. Uh, And unfortunately, the tools that we've provided uh, don't allow them to get highly accurate diagnoses. So you couple that information and you say, well, then there's a problem that we can solve. And then the, the remaining problem that I hear from my doctor friends all the time is, okay, I find all these people. What do I do with them? Mm-hmm. We're, we're so short of mental health professionals in this world, um, both at the treatment side and the diagnostic side, that there really is no place to send them. Uh, and so accessibility and availability become issues, and therein lies where I think some of the technology solutions that we're going to see moving forward that can assist primary care providers, Um, and not to sort of jump the queue, but I think the real reality for primary care is that for primary care, mental health needs to be a collaboration. Mm -hmm. We have to see mental health collaborations in primary care. There's too much too much for us to do at the primary care level, uh, right. we're the, we're the bulwark for too much.
0: What does that collaboration look like then? What is a more positive or a better outcome collaboration look like for those primary care practices?
1: Well, I think for there's, there's two ways to go at it for primary care practices, I think. Uh, one is there's a new model for therapy that can be integrated into primary care practices. Uh, that new model for therapy, uh, I, I consult with a clinic here locally that's that's building this model. And I see it building from other places. It, I think some of it came out of the work of the University of Washington many years ago. Uh, but what it is, is you have a therapist in the office who is doing brief encounter therapy and is available to the physician uh, to to see patients while the, while they're there in the office. What this usually what this model looks like is a social a licensed clinical social worker or LCPC, whatever the, the designation in that state is, to, to be available to see somebody initially for a short visit to get them introduced into the care model, bring them in, and then reschedule them for appropriate times and most of the time what goes on here in these practices, is the ability for that person to be available to the doctor during the time the doctor's seeing patients. If he or she notices that there's a mental health issue, they can immediately bring somebody in, introduce them and extend the care process. So that's one way. The other way is to use technology uh, to begin to, to close that integration gap and to use that technology to be able to connect that primary care digitally uh, to advance therapy, for example, a psychiatric consultation. Uh, so the ability for a primary care doc to obtain a psychiatric consultation and then get that information back and execute on that treatment plan and provide continued documentation, value-based outcome measures, in other words, being able to track and follow is the patient getting better, Per, so in a team or collaborative model or integrated model, I can I can involve a psychiatrist, I can involve a therapist, but I can use technology to wrap that up for me and make it efficient because really for the primary care provider, efficiency is key. I've got a ton of patients to see, whether it's pediatrics, whether it's adults or whether it's elderly, I got a lot of people to see. And I got to be able to sort of master the ship, uh, pilot the plane, and make sure that other things are getting done. And so I think technology begins to come
0: into play here. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, so you told me offline, you're in Idaho, um, and you're working with a practice there to get this integrated. So I I don't want to read into that. Give me an idea. Give our listeners an idea. Is this early stages of adoption of having this model you're talking about, or is this widespread yet? Where, where are we along that sort of timeline?
1: That's, that's a, that's a great, great question. I'm actually giving uh, a talk later here at a big session in Idaho on what's called hyper change. And so change is coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're seeing more and more of these kinds of practices uh, working with a member of your organization uh, at a big development over in East Idaho with multiple clinics and a behavioral health group and a psychiatrist to build this collaborative model digitally, uh, working with a consulting group, a small consulting group that does rural work. So we're seeing it coming. Uh, University of Washington uh, really developed this. Uh, Salt Lake City Intermountain Healthcare has this model. So it's evolving, uh, and I think faster and faster and faster uh, as we see things moving. So the answer to your question is, it's early. The Second thing, but it's efficient, and it's relatively easy with the right technology for any practice to put in place. The beauty of why it may work is that there's now code for it. So, one of the things that, that we all know in primary care is it, it's hard to do things that you don't get paid to do. Yeah. So, now CMS has just recently, actually within the past, I think, 60 days, put out a new code called behavioral health integration. So, I think we'll see that change evolve faster and faster and faster because I, I, I can make it part of my practice. Mm-hmm. I can afford to make it part of my practice.
0: That is wonderful information, and this really gets to the heart of it. Uh, there's a need. There's a need for this code. There's a need for this integration. You and I were sharing some emails offline. You've been looking at a certain study that came out. I think probably most of our listeners have, have seen this study or other studies about what many have called it America's Mental Health Crisis, there is a need, and in this study, it cites uh, that more than fifty million people are experiencing at least one mental health illness. So, let's go to that study first. W- what is the study? Just give us some basic uh, data. You know, some of the main data points that emerged from that study.
1: Okay, the study. The study that we're talking about is. Uh, I'm going to pull it up actually, so that I can uh, represent it correctly. Okay. The State of Mental Health in America 2023. Uh and in, in it here here's some of the the key takeaways. 21% of adults are experiencing at least one mental health issue. That's roughly 50 million people. 55% of adults with a mental illness will not have any treatment at all. 5.4% of adults experience severe mental illness. That's schizophrenia, other psychotic disorders. Um 12 million people reported serious thoughts of suicide. We've seen suicide drive enormously increased numbers in this country, uh, particularly predominant in several states. We've seen, for example, uh, numbers of people... increasing in opioid use disorder and multiple deaths in opioid use. So from this study, we can attest to the fact that that's going on. The other part of this and and also highlighted in this study is the fact that children and adolescents have an enormous increase over the past four years. Obviously we can point to the pandemic and we can say, this is the reason But it's only part of the reason. Okay, We were seeing increased elevation in children's mental health issues pre-pandemic. The pandemic simply accelerated that. So in this study, it highlights the the fact. And the other other sort of interesting figure is over 50% of the people, up to 70% of the people that come into a physician's office are driven by a behavioral health disorder. OK, you can look at other statistics and, and going back even to the time when I was teaching and when I was a resident. I can remember my my head of my residency, my, one of my professors looking at me saying, never forget ever. Fifty percent of the people that come in to see you aren't really physically ill. Uh, and, and so that that becomes unchanged, if not worsened. Since I started. Fifty years ago, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Let Let me just go back. You had the study open in front of you. Who conducted the study? Let's get a better idea of who that is, and if people have access to that, if they wanted to read more into the study as well.
1: Mental Health America created the survey twenty twenty State of Mental Health in America survey by the Mental Health America group. And that study is available online. Uh, it was conducted by the NASH, According to separate, this is a, there's another survey that's attached to that that they used as data from the National Center for Health Statistics uh, that said, for example, 40 percent of Americans reported symptoms of anxiety in 2020 when the study was done, compared to just 11 percent in 2019. So in one year, you saw an increase of almost double in anxiety symptomatology. Uh, People have struggled uh, during the pandemic, particularly Uh, untreated substance use disorders have accelerated dramatically. So this is in this is in this study uh, from the Mental Health Association of America. Mm
0: -hmm. Does the study or in your own research, does it point to why we're seeing this extreme, I, I want to call it an uptick, but it's a surge, an epidemic of mental health illnesses., uh, what is happening? Why are we having record levels of mental health uh, issues right now?
1: well I think I think that we can we can talk from this study and multiple other studies and what we see in, in the data and what we see in our own work, the reality is uh, for ch- children and adolescents, there's some different causation. Uh, For the adult population, what we're seeing is a gradual rise secondary to what what commonly happens, for example, in in work-related areas, in uh, financial areas, as you begin to stress families and family units, uh, you see higher and higher rates of adult uh, mental health disorders. Uh, in children, uh, part of part of it, and I think we have to be honest with ourselves, is the social media issues. Uh, all the studies point to that. Uh, McMurtry, the, the uh, uh, surgeon general, has pointed that out directly uh, in some of the statistics from the National Institutes of Mental Health, demonstrating the fact that uh, the issue with children related to social media, related to news, uh, and if you if you go back and you look at things like uh, people's general sense of, of security general sense of uh, social isolation we are seeing more and more social isolation more and more splintering of connections more and more uh, ability for people to take sides if you will to be really split if you and and you, you can't away from the fact that, that in this country we are seeing greater and greater sort of isolation to our own space. So all of that contributes uh, to the increasing problem with mental health. The inability to get service uh, increases, so exponentially people get worse
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and more and more people come in and uh, As I tell my patients, uh, particularly when I see adolescents, because I I predominantly have been doing behavioral health for the past 20 years, uh, children are the explorers into the wonderful world of psychotherapy for their families. Mm -hmm. So a dysfunctional, isolated, mental uh, health-impaired family is going to have more problems in their children, so suddenly... One person with depression becomes two people with depression, becomes four people with depression, becomes an entire family with depressive symptomatology. And then you you couple that with what's going on in our society, um, particularly, uh, you know, with the shootings and all the other things that make the news, the mental health status of Americans is poor across the board. We've hopefully reduced the stigma of reporting it, yeah. but still a problem for employers. But I think we're seeing people reach out more. We are seeing more people reach out for therapy. That's mm-hmm. a good thing. We've right. seen that almost double uh, in the past six years, the number mm-hmm. of people asking for help. But you couple that with a really burdened primary care system, more people asking for help, fewer resource resources, we need solutions. And so I think those solutions become uh, technological as well as societal.
0: Right. And you did jump into the next part. I know this has been pretty heavy stuff that we're talking about, but it's heavy stuff that we're talking about and it needs to be addressed. And so, as you mentioned, there is a bright spot here where uh, Americans are increasingly seeking help talk about that what are some of the factors that are mm, allowing people to feel comfortable comfortable may not be the right word but they're open to seeking help whereas in the past they might have kept that private where then it can turn into a an episode so talk about that where people are seeking help and what uh the avenues are for them to do so
1: Well, I think there's two two things, Daniel. I think, number one, employers are more and more focused on employee mental health. Uh, They're looking for it in solutions in their companies. They're looking to be able to provide it. EAPs have never been a very effective way, but they're working to improve them. So I think you're seeing it from the workplace side being a bit more acceptable. And then I think, honestly, With the advent of increased children and adolescents, I think suddenly adult parents and adult people in their lives are waking up to the fact that, oh my goodness, I need to get help for my adolescent or I need to get help for my child, but maybe I need some help too. So I think that this sort of increase in visibility in children and adolescents and the okayness of making it visible. OK, in that age. group, And it's it's like I've always said, you know, children are the explorers into the right. world of psychotherapy. And I think because children have it's been more acceptable to discuss and look at parents, parents and adults have had to say, well, OK, I need to look at
0: it mm-hmm.
1: and, and I need to, to potentially get some help. And we're seeing a rise, for example, in the number of people uh, going in for uh, treatment for addiction. Alcohol and substances. Well, alcohol and substance people, the old question we used to ask was, why are you an addict? The new question that we're asking is, what are you trying to treat? And by changing that paradigm of discussion, now we're saying, well, there's, there's underlying behavioral health disorder here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so more and more people are seeking help for those disorders, and more and more people are being diagnosed with with what we call comorbid uh, behavioral health disorder psychiatric disorder. So it's more and more acceptable. Mm -hmm. And the other reason, uh, we're seeing a flood of these people, both adolescents and adults, into emergency rooms. And so communities are having to pay attention because these people are flooding their ERs with suicidal ideation. Communities are now paying. Uh, I have spoken more at community-based programs over the past year on suicide than in any other single year I've been doing this in the past 20. Mm -hmm. Because we're concerned.
0: Yeah. I have come across several articles and research studies lately about uh, the problems with isolation and loneliness. Um, Have you come across that in your research? And, Tell us about that. How can we uh, alleviate that to some degree, or provide people with a channel to not feel so isolated, to not feel so lonely?
1: That's a great. That's a great, great point. Great observation. I, I treat uh, kiddos at, at a college uh, nearby, and one of the things I've learned in the years doing that is the single most common thing that will drive uh, an adolescent college student to the brink of suicide is loneliness Mm -hmm. to the point that I I've developed a little scale based upon our research that I can, I can have our staff send out and find out people's level of loneliness. And I can send it out technologically on this wonderful device we call a smartphone. And I can get that feedback very quickly. So you're absolutely right. Loneliness is number one. United Kingdom recently put a secretary of loneliness. Wow into the into the government
0: okay
1: to begin to develop that um, and so that that becomes really really a, a keen indicator of what's going on so and if people begin to get isolated for example uh, I'll just use a personal example my daughter is a therapist okay and she's you know she's in that age where and we live in the same town and we share an office. And I never talk to her on the phone. It's always by text. Okay. (laughs) Okay? Uh, And and I I rarely get a phone call from my college students when they're in distress. I always get a text. Well, if you think about that, devices can make things better or they can make things more isolated. And I think to some extent, devices do isolate people. They can certainly be a solution, however, because they can also connect people. But you have to have the right reason for that device to be connecting you. Uh, so one of the solutions for that is some of the newer technologies uh, using what's called a rules-based uh, AI can create uh, moments when somebody's really feeling lonely. I can use my device and I can actually video chat with somebody. Okay, which is which is really a fairly human connectivity. And what we've researched around video chat, for example. Now you get zoom dysmorphia a bit uh, over time, but the reality is we can do things technologically to improve a connectedness. And so the app, you know, the absolute opposite of uh, loneliness is connectedness. So con- using technology can be a solution. Offices, doctors can employ apps with their patients that allow that connectedness. Right now we use it just to sort of get data uh, back and forth, but can we do some things, uh, again, some of these more forward thinking practices uh, have what are called, you know, 10 minute chats. And this this involvement of a a process model inside a primary care office for behavioral health integration can employ the 10 minute chat model. Okay, Uh, and I I have found this in my own practice, extremely valuable. And if I, you know, I I follow up my college kids a couple of years later down the road, say, what was the one thing we did for you at the college that made it easier for you? And a lot of them will say the 10 minute chat
0: Hmm. uh,
1: that they could get with a therapist or a nurse or me on a regular basis just to check in so there are a lot of technology things and that i think will help this loneliness issue which is a huge issue around the world not just here
0: yeah <laughs> I, I have a final question for you then so as you know many of our listeners uh most of our listeners uh are work at a, at a medical practice in one uh capacity or another but they are often the decision makers in those practices they have a leadership role so what can practices do then from a preventative screening standpoint, you know on that front line at those primary care practices, what can they be doing to move this forward to get those people help?
1: Well, I, th- I think you have to you have to have sort of a shift a shift in thought process. You have to say, I need to treat mental health just like I treat physical health. And physical health, I screen for diseases. We have the annual wellness visit, classic model uh, in Medi- Medicare. We all do wellness visits, we all do blood pressure checks, we all do uh, checks for other disorders, cervical screening, cancer screening, you know, breast cancer screening, screen for mental health. So screening starts there. Secondarily, get the right diagnosis very early. You don't necessarily have to treat it. If you're in primary care, like I've been, I didn't treat everything that came in the door, but my job was to find it and get it to the right place. Well, you need to find it. You need extra tools. You need different tools than than you have for physical health. And so screening leads you to improve diagnosis. And then I think the next most important piece uh, in, in sort of what can we do to make it better is we can follow our patients along. Much like if you have somebody with hypertension, you have them come back and check their blood pressure every six, every three months, or you ask them to take their blood pressure and chart. Same thing with mental health. If I'm going to treat you, let's make sure you're getting better. And then I think the hope for the future, if you get into that screening, uh, testing for or diagnostic interviews, and then tracking and following, the hope for the future is that with improved diagnostic abilities and improved treatment abilities will all be getting better outcomes. Because there's no question, the change coming in mental health that will make it on the same footing with physical health. Because right now the only way to make a diagnosis in mental health is subjective. Let me talk to you, let me ask you some questions. The day is coming when we will objectively be able to say, here is a study, here is a test, here is something I can point my finger at and say, you have depression. Now I can change the paradigm instead of saying, Oh, I'll relieve your symptoms, I can cure you. So we that's where we are in physical health. I can cure you. We talk about curing cancer, we're talking about curing heart disease. We don't talk about curing depression. But that's because we don't have the diagnostic handle. that's coming. Yeah. So that's coming. The treatments are coming. The whole model of how we treat mental health will change. It basically hasn't changed since the beginning. Mm -hmm. But it is changing. We are seeing new stuff. And for that reason, I think getting in the habit of screening people like you do for physical disease, getting the right diagnosis like you do for physical disease, deciding on the treatment, whether you do it, or whether you defer it or whether it becomes part of your behavioral health integration process in a clinic, and then following to see what the outcome is. That's that's where that's where the quote money is, I think, in this.
0: Well, and as you said, there's a code for it now as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And that
1: is codes for these screening, there are codes for the, the diagnostic interview process and for primary care, the ability to get a psychiatric diagnosis with the right tools in your practice, to be able to refer is the right thing to do.
0: All right. Well, Dr. Young, thank you so much for joining us and sharing these thoughts with us today.
1: I appreciate it, Daniel. And uh, anytime we can be of assistance, uh, feel free to give me a call. Happy to talk with anybody.
0: Will do. So thanks again to Dr. Thomas Young. Again, he is Chief Medical Officer at ProM Health. I'm going to provide direct links to the studies uh, and that code uh, that Dr. Young was talking about. Thanks again for listening to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at MGMA.com slash membership. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool